Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Two weeks ago, we began a three-part sermon series called People, Places, and Things. The first week, we looked at the people that God puts in your life and the importance of connecting and networking with those people. We are the only creation that was incomplete. And this was not a mistake by God. This was very intentional by God. And he created us with this need for connectivity and a need for others. Last week, we realized that God uses strategic places to set the atmosphere for life-changing events. And sometimes these places are literal. Like for some of you, God has put you in this church, or for most of us, all of us probably, he's put us in this church. It's a literal, it's a physical place. But more often, some of these places are intangible and they're places of despair. Paul and Silas, they were both in a physical place and they were also in an intangible place of despair. Uh, and, and like them, many times God will put you in places of despair in order to reach someone else. They reach the, the prison guard, the jailer, while they were there. And so wherever God puts you, always understand it's never just for you. It may be for you, but it's never just for you. And so today we will conclude this series as we explore the things that God uses. I want to do something different here just for a few moments um, because today's topic is a sensitive subject with many people. And I want to invite the presence of the Lord and the Holy Spirit to help us tackle this today, okay? So if you will, let's pray. Father, I cannot entice with words for my own wisdom, but Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit can touch my mouth the words that come out of my mouth, and it can touch the ears of those that are listening. And so, Lord, if there's anything that your Holy Spirit wants to do in convicting lives today, Lord, I pray that you would let that conviction flow, but never, Lord, never let condemnation come from this pulpit. Lord, I pray that what I present today is in love and that we understand it with, with, with that mentality, Lord, that this is about you, it's about your love, it's about trusting you, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. When I was a, a youth pastor, I had this obligation to teach a, a high school Sunday school class on Sunday mornings. Um, we were living in Tampa at the time, and, and so I would go and I would teach my high school Sunday school class, and, and Mandy would often attend this young couples class without me. It was a young couple Sunday school class that our pastor's wife led, and, and so Mandy was attending that class. And they decided they were going to do the book study of the five love languages by Dr. Gary Chapman. And so they were doing the five love languages. And, and on Sundays on the drive home, Mandy would try and recap and tell me about her Sunday school class. She was telling me all about the five love languages and how this relates to our marriage. And I just told her, I said, Mandy, I'm not into that psycho mumbo jumbo. You know, I'm just, just if you're enjoying it, you enjoy it. But, but that's, that's just not for me. I don't believe that there's five ways to say that I love you. And I'm, I'm not going to listen to a psychiatrist tell me that there's five ways that, that a human being can say I love you. And so every Sunday we would get into this. And, and so secretly I went and bought the book and I started reading it on my own in my office with Mandy nowhere around. And, and I remember one midweek uh, service, it was a young adult service that, that I had started. I got up to, to teach the young adults and Mandy is sitting in the back of, of the cafe area where we were having this, this, uh, this service. And I get up to start teaching and I start teaching on the five love languages. And I wish that you could see my wife's face in the back of that room. 
she was, she was just, I mean, evil eyes the whole time. And, uh, but, but sure enough, after reading the book and, and, and taking the test online, I, 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 was, I was sold. I mean, there, there's absolutely five ways that you can say I love you. And you can, be saying it, you can be saying I love you in the wrong way, and your spouse will never understand that. And in the book, he, he, he likens it to a couple that they get married, but, but they each speak a different language. Maybe he speaks German and she speaks English. And they can say I love you all day long. But if you're not saying it in the right language, the other person will never be able to receive that, that I love you from you. And so just, this, was, this is actually kind of funny because just, we've been married for 23 years last month. 23 years last month. And just about a year ago, we were talking with someone else about the five love languages and I said, yes, my, my love language is giving and receiving gifts. If you don't know the, the love languages, they're giving and receiving gifts, words of affirmation, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. And I know what you're thinking. All men are physical touch. No, no, it's not. Because some men just don't like to cuddle, right? So it's not always physical touch, okay? And so after 23 years of marriage, we're having this conversation, and Mandy Mandy is shocked when I say that, that my love language is giving and receiving gifts. She said, no, it's not. <laughs> Who are you to tell me what my love language is? Then everything started making sense to me. The past 23 years started making sense to me. You can be saying I love you in all the right ways, or, or you can be saying I love you in all the wrong ways, and, and never will your spouse ever understand what you are saying. But for me, my love language is giving and receiving gifts, because I will see little things for, for people, and, and I'll think, and it doesn't have to be expensive things, and I'll think, I, that person w would like that. And, and chances are, they don't like it. They're like appreciative, but it doesn't really speak their love language. So you can buy me, you can buy me a new car, or a cup of coffee, and they both mean the world to me. I mean, seriously, it doesn't matter how great the gift is, when you buy me something, when you, when you spend some of your money, no matter how small it is, to purchase me something, it means the world to me. It can be a simple contribution, but it speaks volumes to my life. And today, we are going to look at probably the greatest contribution that was ever made in Scripture, and no doubt, it is one of the greatest donations, but arguably, it's also one of the smallest values of anything that was ever given. But for some reason, it impressed God. It impressed Jesus. Mark chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 41 through 44. This is not a parable. This is important for you to understand. Jesus is not... not creating a story in his mind to, to share some heavenly principle with us and, and, and layman you know, terminology. No, this is an actual event that actually took place and, and it caught the, the, the eyes of Jesus. And so Mark chapter 12, we're going to start reading at verse 41. And it reads, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. <laughs> now you know why I needed prayer, right? So he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. At the time of Christ, Jews in Jerusalem 
would worship at Herod's temple. There were designated areas in the temple where only certain people could enter, and and you could enter in through the portico of Solomon. It was just a covered colonnade, a porch area that, that with the sun beaming down, many people would hang out under that area. But if you step beyond the the colonnade of, of Solomon, the portico of Solomon, you would step into what is called the court of Gentiles. And the court of Gentiles was open to anybody and everybody. Men, women, you did not have to be of Jewish descent. A matter of fact, that's where the Gentiles would gather if they were going to the temple. And so you had the court of Gentiles. And and the next area was called the court of women. And in the court of women, Jewish men and women could gather there. They were the only ones who were allowed to gather in this area. It was called the court of women because that's as far as women could go because the next area would be called the court of the Israelites. The court of the Israelites, it it was only Jewish men that could enter into this area. And and for some reason, they built it 15 steps higher than than the court of women. You don't think they had an ego problem? I think they had an ego problem. Men were exalting themselves above the women. The next part was called the court of priests, where only the priests and the Levites that served in the temple could enter. And inside the court of the priests was the sanctuary. And listen, you didn't go to the temple in order to be taught the word of God. That's what the synagogues were for. You went to the temple in order to worship God through your giving, through your sacrifice. And so this was ministering, ministering to God, not to you. You were, you were taught the word of God outside in the synagogues but you come into the temple to minister to the Lord by offering your your sacrifices to him. And so inside the the court of, of, of the priest was the sanctuary and the holy of holies where only the high priest could enter once a year. Now on this particular day, and it was most likely Wednesday, if you start filling out the timeline there, it was probably Wednesday of the last week of the earthly ministry of Christ. In just a couple of days, he will be crucified. And Jesus is found sitting in the court of women where Jewish men and women could enter. In this area was the temple treasury, and there were 13 containers, 13 trumpet-shaped containers for you to put your offerings in. Two of them were for the half-shekel temple tax that you had to pay. Every man had to pay a temple tax for his family. But the other, the, the other 11 were for voluntary offerings that were designated for specific temple costs. You could donate towards the temple incense because it costs money to buy the incense. Or to, to, uh, you could donate towards the, the temple wood that they had to buy in order to offer up sacrifices. And so there were certain things, certain, certain uh, containers there for specific items that you could donate towards. And we're not exactly sure which offering bucket that this poor widow put her offering in, but we do know that Jesus was watching closely. This is going to wake some of you up right now. Jesus was watching what people were giving and he was watching it closely. I want to show you a picture of of the widow's mite, the two coins, and I want you to notice how small they are. Jesus was watching so closely that he could see that this woman only put in two of these small copper coins. I almost picture Jesus just standing over the offering bucket, just watching. Wouldn't that make you very uncomfortable if I, if I walked up here and I just stood at the offering bucket just watching what everybody put in? Jesus was watching that close, that he could see that, that she put in two small coins. 
It's interesting to know that God watches what we give. Pastor Andrew just said it a moment ago. It's not really how much you give. It's, it's the heart behind it. But for some reason, Jesus was watching close enough to know that she only put in those two coins. And I don't want to get hung up on this today because it's, it's not necessarily about finances. And I know that some of you in the room, you've drank the Kool-Aid and, and you've bought into all the church wants is your money and all the pastor wants is your money. And, and I pray I pray that you'll hear the heart behind this, but, but this is the elephant in the room. And, and there have been times when God has led me to teach a series on giving. And, and I believe that, that God anoints me to teach on giving. And I'm going to be doing a series on Wednesday nights coming up soon on giving. And I think it's important for you to be taught that. But it is one of the most uncomfortable things for me to teach. Because I know the stigma behind it. I know what people expect to hear from the pastor. And, and very seldom do I get up and, and ask for, for, for money for anything. Um, as a matter of fact, I make Pastor Andrew or Pastor Scott get up and ask for the money, you know. So <laughs> I, it's just, it, it, the, the, the truth is this. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. Listen to me. If you think that we're out for your money, understand this. God doesn't need your money. This church doesn't need your money. I don't need your money. You, however, need to understand that without the blessings of God, you don't have what you have. And whenever you give, and I don't have time to get into the first fruits offering and, and tithing and all of that today. Man, I could, and, and it's, it just time limits us today. But I could share with you testimony after testimony from my life and others on how tithing has blessed their lives. And so you, you don't need to give because God is greedy. You need to give because you need to get. And that's the way that God blesses. Because when you trust him with whatever area of your life, there he blesses. If you trust him with your soul, he blesses you with eternity. So if you trust God with your money, God blesses that. So you may not be comfortable with this topic, but under understand that 16 of the 38 parables that Jesus taught were about money and finances. If, if that doesn't get you, understand that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one out of every 10 verses deals with money, with finances. And there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that talk about money com compared to 500 that talk about faith and 500 that talk about prayer. So money is talked about four times as much as faith and four times as much as prayer. And everybody in this room knows you, you have to have faith to please God. And we know that we connect with God and we commune with God through prayer. Those things are important, but for some reason, God chose to mention money four times more than both of those subjects. And our text today is one of those times that Jesus chose to talk about money. That's the thing that he wanted to teach about on this Wednesday with less than 48 hours until his crucifixion, he chooses to talk about money. 1 Samuel 2 and 7 says, the Lord makes some poor and others rich. Isn't that disturbing? The Lord makes some poor and others rich. He brings some down and lifts others up. So God makes some poor, God makes some rich. Now let me ask you this question. Who do you relate with? Do you relate with the poor widow or with the rich people? Don't answer out loud because this is going to become very embarrassing for you. But, but, but mentally, make a decision. Who do you relate more with, the poor widow or, or the rich people? 
I would argue that you relate more with the rich people than the poor widow. I, I read a, a number this week that said if, if you make at least $32,400 a year, you are in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. So if you make more than $32,400 a year, you're in the top 1%. You didn't realize that you were so wealthy, did you? But God is not impressed with your money. He's not. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. God's not impressed with your money. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. God is not impressed with your money. So if God is not impressed with how much money people have, I can tell you that he is certainly not impaired by your lack of money either. That, that just because you don't have it doesn't mean that God's work and God's, God's cause is not going to, to, to move forward. That God will somehow fund the ministry to make it happen. Before you compare yourself to the poor widow, understand that she also gave her last two pennies in the offering. Her last two coins she gave in the offering. It's estimated that her offering would be worth in, in our today U.S. dollars somewhere around $2.00. That that was the last that she had, the last two coins that she had to her name, worth about $2. And she walks into the temple. She goes to the court of women there, and, and she gives in an offering bucket. And Jesus is close enough to realize she just gave her last two cents. That's it. That's all that she had, and it was worth about $2. If you only have $2, you still have some choices to make about your immediate needs. If I'm down to $2, I'm not sure. And listen, I pastor this church. But if I'm down to $2, I would hope that I would have that kind of faith. But man, I start thinking about what $2 could buy. $2 could buy my next meal. Did you know you can buy a double cheeseburger for $2? You can. D did you know that, that you can buy a king-size candy bar when they're on sale for $2? I can make a, a, a king-size candy bar I can make that my lunch if I have to. Did you know that you can go through the Crystal's drive-thru and buy the entire menu for $2? For two whole dollars, you can buy everything that they have. But notice this, Jesus is not criticizing the rich. That's where some people want to point fingers at in, 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 this, in this, this part of history here. They want to they, they criticize the rich, but he didn't knock the rich for what they gave. The temple, like the church, depended on people from all walks of life sowing into the ministry. That's how it flourished. That's how it worked. And so he's not criticizing the rich. He was simply commending the poor widow. Many people give out of their abundance, and that's easy. He did point that out. He said, listen, the rich, they give out of their abundance. But this poor widow, she gave out of her poverty. It's tough to give out of your poverty when you just don't have it. That's when faith has to kick in, when you just don't have it. You know, sometimes with, with some people, the reason they can't give their first fruits and their tithe, the first 10% of what they make, it is because when they start putting it all down on paper, it doesn't make sense to pay that first. But that's what faith does. And then the Bible tells us that when you do that, the lump sum is now blessed. If you don't do that, then it's curse. And so whenever you just don't have it, when it doesn't make sense on paper, faith says, I'm going to give out of my poverty even when I don't have it. 
Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, listen to this, Jesus says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, whatever you invest in is what you fall in love with. That's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, your heart follows, and whatever you, you invest in, that is what you fall in love with. Now listen to me. The reason why it's so easy for some people just to up and leave a church is because they've never invested in that church. Whenever you, boy, it's quiet in here right now. Whenever you invest in the, in the ministry, it's hard for you just to, just to grab your family up and just leave. When you don't invest, you're saying, I am not in love with the church, the very thing that Christ died for. Jesus said your heart follows your treasure. You fall in love with whatever you invest in. But, but understand this, because I, there's so many people that are uncomfortable right now, so, so I want to move on. It's not always about money. It can be, and for many people it is, but it's, it's not always about money. It doesn't always have to be about money. Offer unto, unto God what he has blessed you with, whatever is in your care, in your control. And so this could be money, it could be possessions, it can be influence, it can be talents, it can be abilities, it can be so much more. Whatever God has put into your hands, that's what you have to be willing to give back to God. What you withhold and retain in your hand reveals what is going on inside of your heart. And throughout the ages... God has used what people were willing to give him. The things that they were willing to give him, God used them in miraculous ways. We know Moses had a staff. We know that Jael had a tent peg and a hammer, and she wasn't afraid to use it. We know Shamgar had an ox goad. Samson, he had a jawbone of a donkey. David had a sling and five smooth stones. Jesus had water that he changed into wine. There was a little boy that had five loaves of, of bread and two fish. There was a sinful woman that had an alabaster box. And this widow, she had two coins to her name, and that was it. She didn't have anything else, and Jesus knew that when she gives that, she has completely given her all it doesn't matter what you have if you are willing to let God use it he will do the miraculous with it no matter how small it may seem little is much if God is in it and so you may think well well what what difference could could my offering my little offering possibly make you see I'm really talking to two different groups of people in this room there's some people that have it and there's some people that don't and those of you that don't, it's hard sometimes to give out of your poverty. It's tough. But whatever it is, no matter how small, when you put it in the hands of God, God is able to take that and multiply it and use it to reach so many people. I believe there's a day coming that when we are standing on the shores of heaven, 
that there are going to be people that we never even imagined that are going to walk up to us and they are going to thank us and appreciate us for what we were willing to sow into the kingdom of God. There's going to be kids in, in, in Guatemala that you never even knew that are going to run up to you and hug you around your legs and say thank you for what you've done for the kingdom of God. There's going to be little snotty-nosed kids that come to VBS every year that, that, that we want to just wring their necks as we pull our hair out. They're going to run up to you and say thank you for investing in your church. Thank you for investing into the kingdom of God. There are going to be men and women who came to know Jesus Christ, that their marriages were restored and they found salvation through him. They are going to come up to you in heaven and they're going to say thank you for what you did. It, listen, we're there for eternity. You will never run out of time. So all of these people that God takes that little offering and he multiplies it and he blesses it and he uses it to reach people, those are the people that I believe you're going to see in heaven thanking you for what you did. 1 Corinthians 1 and 27 says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Listen to me. There is nothing as frail and fragile as money. I know. One day you have it, the next day you don't. And then you have it again, and then you lose it again. It's just fragile, it, it is weak, but God will use what is fragile and weak, and he will use it to confound the wise. No matter how small it may be, God can and will use it. And there is this day coming, church, that I believe that we will stand before God and all of your wealth and your earthly possessions will be as worthless as monopoly money when you stand there. You cannot take it with you. And if he blessed you with it, then it should be available for God to use. Never allow your wealth and your possessions to control your ability to be used by God. Allow God to manage what you do and what you don't have. So really quick, I want to give you three observations that I made about this widow. The first one is this. This widow had a heart for God's house. This widow had a heart for God's house. Many people were bringing animals to sacrifice. They were bringing grain. They were bringing vegetables from their crops. Some people with a heart for the temple, they brought monetary offerings that would help with the cost of running the temple. And it impresses me that this woman cared so much about God's house. She cared more about God's house than she did her, even her own. Malachi 3 and 10 says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. She cared more about food on the table of the temple than she did about the food on her own table. And you know, there was one table, the table of showbread there, that the, the only purpose for that table being there was for 12 loaves of bread, one for, for each of the tribes of Israel. And, and when they would grow stale, then they would just throw those out and they would bring more. She cared about food on the table in the house of the Lord more than she cared about food being on her own table. For some of you, that is such a mystery. You're like, how could I possibly be that irresponsible? And that's because you look at everything in the natural and God is a supernatural God. That when you begin looking at things through the eyes of God and realizing that God just wants your trust and he says, listen, if you will honor me with your first fruits, then I will bless. I will bless you. 
The second observation that I made is that the widow gave to an imperfect institution. She did. She gave to an imperfect institution. Understand that she was giving in spite of not being allowed past that one area. You caught that, right? And where did they put the offering buckets? In the area where the Jewish men and women could both go. These men were not, were not idiots. They knew exactly what they were doing. And in spite of that, she gave anyway. And don't forget, just one chapter earlier, two days to be exact, Jesus walked into the temple and caused havoc. He started turning over the tables of the money changers and, and the seats of those who sold the pigeons. He started running people out of the temple because he said that, that it was not a place for thieves. He said, my house should be called a house of prayer. And he wanted to restore order back to the temple. And so clearly there were some things that needed to change with that relig religious organization. But when the widow walked up to the offering bucket, it's interesting that Jesus didn't stop her. Two days earlier, he knows changes need to be made in the temple. But in that imperfect institution, he didn't stop her from sowing money into that. He didn't stop her from giving her offering, her last two cents into that offering. Jesus understood that this woman was not giving to the temple. This woman walked in with a heart ready to give it to God. And even the organized ministry of Christ had financial problems. You understand that the treasurer is about to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He had his own problems in his organization. Church, if I could encourage you with, with, with anything today, listen to me. Don't ever give to Destiny Community Church. When you bring your offering, give it to the Lord. We are not a perfect institution by any means. We have great financial accountability around this church. But I can tell you that mistakes are made. There is not a perfect institution, man-made institution on this planet. Now I know the church is, was created by Christ. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. I know that it was instituted by, by, by Christ, but he put it in the hands of humanity. And at that moment... There's mistakes that are made. This woman wasn't giving to an institution. When she brought her offering, she was giving it to the Lord. And understand that DCC does not have the ability to bless you, but the Lord does, and God will bless you. The third and final observation that I made was the widow did not allow anyone else to worship for her. That's why I made you raise your hands earlier. Jerusalem was packed with people who came to worship. It was the week of Passover. There was a celebration that was taking place, and the temple was full of people who had made the pilgrimage just to worship God. Jewish, Jewish historians verify that Jerusalem had the population between 20 and 30,000 people at the time of Christ. But during Passover, one of the three festivals that must be celebrated in Jerusalem that are mentioned in Leviticus 23 and Deuteronomy 16, at that time, the holy city's population swelled perhaps by another 150,000 people. Can you imagine? Every room is filled. There are campsites, campsites that are popping up on the hillsides all over. People have made the pilgrimage there just to celebrate and just to worship God. 
And their sole purpose for being there is to somehow, some way, get to the temple that was the target of, of, of their trip to Jerusalem. And so it would have been easy for this poor widow to get lost in the crowd. Everybody is there to give in offerings and to make sacrifices. But she knew this, nobody can worship for me. Nobody can worship for you. Nobody. And, and giving is worshiping. Whether you, you like it or not, it is. Giving unto God is worship. But it's also about singing. Listen to Psalm 96, 1 and 2. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. And so let me just camp out here just for a moment. You know, on Sundays, we're, we're not having auditions for the next great singing reality show. You know that, right? This, this is not American Idol. This is not The Voice. So when you show up, no one is sitting there listening to you to see how great you can sing. You can show up and you can express your love through singing and nobody else can do that for you. Yet sometimes we want to sit back and let the praise team do it for us. Oh, they're, they're so good. They, they, their voices are just heavenly. We love it. Now, let, me, let me dive into this a little bit deeper. You don't even have to like the music to sing along and worship. Matter of fact, that's probably the sacrifice of praise that the Bible speaks of. Sometimes, as long as the, the lyrics are scriptural, as long as they point to heaven, as long as they point to the cross, it's good sometimes for you to sing a new song to the Lord. Amen? Oh, it's not just about giving. It's not just about singing. It's also about raising your hands. Psalm 63 and 4 says, So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Don't be ashamed. Nobody else can do that for you. Nobody else can raise your hands to heaven and worship God Almighty. You may think, some of the men in the room, you have a problem with this. You may think that you're too manly to lift up your hands, but understand David is the one that wrote that psalm. And David was a man's man. He was a ruthless Jewish warrior that killed tens of thousands, but yet he was not ashamed to worship God. There's some men's men in this room that you need to learn to, to yield yourself to God, raise your hands, lift your voice, and just begin to sing to God. This poor widow was determined to worship God, not because she could afford it, but because she couldn't afford not to. You, you can't afford to miss out on this. There is something that happens in a person's life when they are willing to lay it all out there in the line and offer anything and everything that they have to God. And you can't worship God unless you're willing to give him everything that you have. He doesn't want your riches or your lack thereof. He wants your willingness. And this widow was giving two coins. She was giving her all. And that's what God wants. God wants your all. In July of 1999, I led my first missions trip. Mandy and I led a group from the Live Oak Church of God a group of students. We led them to Ecuador, and while we were in Ecuador, we, we had the opportunity to drive three and a half hours through the mountains to a Quechua Indian church. And it was there at this Quechua Indian church where we had the opportunity to lead worship, and I got the opportunity to preach through an interpreter. Yes, that's me in the picture with a fanny pack on. <laughs> 
but I knew where my passport was at at all times. I'll never forget, we were about two hours late for this service. And when we pulled up, these people were crowded into this little church waiting to hear the Word of God. They would have stayed all night long if that's what it took. There was such a spirit of expectancy on their minds and on their hearts. They walked in knowing that God was going to meet them there. I remember when we led worship, I sat down to a little Casio keyboard. That's all they had. And I hit the drum machine. That's all you can. I just played and we, we sang and... When I finished preaching that night and after we prayed with some of, of the adults and the children down in the altars, they took us across this little dirt road down into this little valley where the church's fellowship hall was at. We had been instructed not to eat anything that was not prepared inside the compound where, where we were staying. And so we made our way down into this little valley to this little small little block building and we sat down and they began to bring out bowls of, of some kind of soup. I remember it had these, these it, it wasn't a potato, but it, it looks kind of like a potato. It was a root. And, and then it had chicken on the bone. And I don't like chicken on the bone. <laughs> and we, they, they set them down in front of us. And, and I, I looked at the missionary and I said, what are we supposed to do? And he said, you, you've got to eat. He said, I know what I told you, but you've got to eat. He said, because they've killed their best. They've harvested their best. And we began to eat. I remember it, it was not good at all. It was not good. It was tough, hard. You'll see on the, on, in the picture, you'll see the soft drinks on the table. They were the old glass Coke bottles. And they brought them out, and they began sitting these down in front of us. And the missionary looked at me. Now, remember, we're three and a half hours driving from the closest city. And I said, where did they get these? And he said, they've been saving those for years for the right special guest. It's one of the most humbling experiences of my life as they prepared their best, which was nowhere near what we would eat. The drinks were flat. But one of the things that caught me off guard was when we all stood up, and I was the last one to walk out of the room, we all stood up to go back to get on, on the van that brought us. And as I stepped out the door, all of a sudden these little kids rushed the table to eat our leftovers. To drink the backwash that was left in our Coke bottles. They were giving the last two coins, the last two cents they had to honor me and the team that I was with. They were so blessed by the Word of God and the worship that went forth that they knew they had to give the things that cost them the most. Their animals, 
their vegetables, their Coke bottles. And I remember walking away from there going, I don't deserve any of this. Why am I so blessed to live in the United States of America? You do realize most of you, like me, you didn't choose to be born here. You didn't choose to be raised here. Yet we are so blessed. I think if we could ever get to the place to where we just look at our possessions as tools for the kingdom of God. It's okay to live comfortable. I'm not, I'm not telling you that you need to sell everything. Jesus might, but I'm not. That's what he told the rich young ruler, right? I'm not trying to put that guilt on you today. That's not it at all. But, but where do you stand when God says, give? When God says, go? When God says, do? What are the things that God has put in your hands that, that only you can control? And, and I'll tell you this, and I'm not going to go into details, but a, a, until you have something in your possession that is valuable to you, and, and at some point you hear the, the, the voice of the Lord speak and say, give it, give it. Man, I'm telling you, you don't know the true blessings of God. I've done that. On a few occasions, there have been extravagant things that God has, has challenged me with. And I've always had to go to my wife and say, I need, to, I need you to make sure I'm not crazy right now. But every single time, God has blessed me abundantly for it. What is it that you control? What is that thing that you have? that maybe you've taken ownership a little bit too much because God can't even speak and you obey. For some people, it's the people we have in our lives. For some people, it's the places where we're at in our lives. And for some people, it's the things that we possess. God will challenge all three of those areas. And all he's looking for is a willing vessel that says, yes, Lord, here I am. I'll listen. I'll listen. The widow gave everything that she had. I so wish there was an end to this story. The end that I want. The end where she walked away and when she stepped outside the temple, she stepped into a pot of gold, you know. That makes the story just like, wow, right? I don't know the end of her story. But all I know is that her actions got the attention of God. And he praised her and celebrated her for giving out of her poverty. I can't imagine how God blessed her life. All I know is that I want that kind of faith in my own life. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.